Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. We have a medical program and we have legalized adult use. We are just starting the process of approving licensing here, hoping that by June we have cultivators and by the fall we have sales. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Thank you and welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one canna story at a time. So Dave, we had a little drama in my house this week. Oh boy, do tell. So, uh, I will. So uh, my cat <laughs> was constipated <laughs> and we had to take him to the ER. I thought you were going to say you had to perform a procedure yourself, which is probably worse. We did. But... We did do an edema, but it didn't work. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> and how does this relate to cannabis or the world? Well, <laughs> is that how the cat got constipated? Got I don't know. It just got me thinking about how little things we ignore because he—he's a big cat. He's been having trouble pooping for a while, but we kind of made fun of him. We just didn't know it could be serious, and uh, something that's kind of manageable can come into a crisis. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like our country now with like women's rights and obviously the gun violence. And, you know, I do like to talk pot and politics and this isn't really about constipation or cannabis really, but I discovered a new podcast that I wanted to recommend. Mm. It's called Will Be Wild. Have you heard of it? No. Will, will, like will be wild, like 
this party. will be wild. Be it's wild. Not actually, okay. I um, I don't like calling him president, but Trump, one of Trump's favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that showing off? I'm in Cambridge, people. It's one of the Trump saying it's not cannabis related, but it's an eight part series about the forces that really led this country to the January 6th insurrection. And it tells it it's a, it tells it through the eyes of just a family and like people who are caught up in the fear and the drama who really believe they're protecting this country because that's the information they're getting. And that's where they're living. And then the federal agencies that were calling out what was happening, but they were ignored or literally dismissed. And then, you know, we talk about fascism. It was the hollowing out of Homeland Security. There was no leadership. They're supposed to protect the homeland. There wasn't really anyone there. So I don't know. I've listened to five. I'm thinking about my country. I do think we should exist. I love this place. I've called it home. This podcast is about hope and moving us forward. But, you know, I I just thought it was an interesting perspective on how we got to the point where we are by letting I don't know, just letting things slide until I don't know where we are right now. It's frightening. Yeah, I will. I will definitely check in with this podcast. And it it sounds great. I about a potentially very depressing subject. I watched the did you see the documentary? I think CNN produced it about the insurrection. I don't think I didn't see that. No, it's very good. And a lot of footage that I hadn't seen before. And it was disturbing. You know, it it was a look at something that the the yet yeah, the police were unprepared for, but also a kind of scary look at the motivations of these people that did this and how petrifying it was in the in you know in the halls of the the Capitol building when it was going on. A lot of things I didn't realize. I mean, when we heard, when we first heard the news, it was kind of like, oh, of course, a bunch of wackos are trying to make their point and, you know, breaking some glass and stuff. But it was scary. And I'm sure that some of that com- comes out in the podcast as well. And it again, again, so I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. We talk about this all the time. We always, our history is us going into a country and getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're freakishly aware of these things. I heard my friend, Rachel Rollins, who is now, the, she's federal. What is she now? She's, oh, she's, isn't she she's the D- She's the DA of Suffolk County, I believe. No, no, she's more than that now. She's oh, at the she federal is? level. Oh, anyway, okay. she's been rising up and she's talking about how domestic threats, those are the greatest threats. And we've been talking about this, you know, not me, but this has been discussion. So people at top levels are actually talking about this. So maybe that's a shift. I'm sorry. She's the U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. U.S. Att- I know yes. she was bigger than, I yep. knew she was bigger than that. <laughs> I should know these things. All right. So happier subjects. So this uh, Monday, I ran around our city of Boston and I did a dispensary tour with my friend Pam Miles of Apothecare. What a perfect place for a dispensary tour, Cambridge, Massachusetts. No, Boston. We went all the way to Boston. Sorry. So we went, it was kind of bougie. We went to the first one was near um, North Station called um, Ascend. Mm-hmm. And then we went over to the Cannabis, which is on Milk Street, kind of near Faneuil Hall. Mm-hmm. And then we took an Uber all the way out to Blue Hill Ave and we went to Pure Oasis, which is the first adult use in Boston. This is not like a pub crawl where you're sampling something at every dispensary, is it? There's actually no sampling, but I, I dropped off my card and I told them I had a book to read. So it was good. It was networking. I got some little videos of me out there doing this. Uh, again, I think ladies my age should feel comfortable going into dispensaries. We aren't always feeling that way. So, you know, I've offered my services. Have me come do a book reading, invite my friends in and see how fun it can be and how many interesting people are actually in these stations and how you can find something to make you feel good about yourself or feel better or just be happy. For sure. Yeah, Yep. it's for those that haven't been to a dispensary, which most of your listeners probably have, but my first visits, I was just impressed by just how uh, organized it was, how helpful the bud tenders were. It is just uh, 
such a far cry from, you know, the old days where when you wanted to get your pot, you know, like a, you, a bag. Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, however you got it, it was, you know, kind of you felt seedy, even if it, even if it wasn't. And so oh. this is this is so it's bougie. Now yeah, it's bougie. Yeah. And welcome Rhode Island today. Rhode Island cannabis is oh. now not illegal in Rhode Island. So welcome, our friends. Welcome to the cannabis world. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the party, pal. It's about time. About time. Let's see. I've been talking a lot. One more thing. So keep that Canada Mom conversation going is still going. I did a book signing last week at my friend Sandy Bernier's and Ivy Bliss. It was really fun. We met some people. She got a little church down there. And I am up for coming to you. So if you have a group or anything, you're interested in learning more about cannabis, there are 18 stories in this book. I can read you mine, do you my little sitcom and engage you and try to like shift this role, give us some hope and peace and health and healing, right? Love it. Courage and cannabis. That's what we and, do. Um, courage and cannabis. And uh, I just want to thank Girl Get That Money for making today's show possible in the month of May. My friend Khadija Adams, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And I hope that I've helped you as much as you've been helping us. Moving on. All right. So this is a podcast about other people besides me. So let's introduce today's guest. Today's guest joins us from Vermont, which is in New England, Dave told me today. <laughs> Break, breaking news on the Cannabis Show. Where she is a nurse with years of experience focusing on both supporting patients and conducting research on multi-substance and opiate use disorders. She co-founded Nurse Grow Organics Hemp and CBD, the first clean green certified hemp farm in Vermont. Today's guest is also a patient and a cultivating caregiver and has spent decades cultivating and crafting medicinal herbs. She is a board member of the American Cannabis Nurse Association, president of American Nurses Association Vermont, chair of their legislative advocacy committee, founder of the Vermont Cannabis Nurses Association, co-founder of Green Mountain Patients Alliance, and she is also a certified ganjier and collaborating with our friends Cannabis Center for Excellence and the Cannabis on cannabis research. She's busy. I'm glad she found time for us today. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Jesse Lynn Willen. Welcome, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All right. So before we get into your story, I know you were just in Tel Aviv at the cannabis conference this year. And I just want to, you know, kind of how did you get invited? What was happening there? And what did you speak on? Well, I presented a poster on research through the University of Vermont. That's actually a follow-up study from a previous published research study we did specific to cannabis and human milk feeding or what, you know, most people refer to as breastfeeding. Wow. And so were, they, were you invited in to speak? Is it something you wanted to present to them? How did they connect with you? Actually, it was another nurse that convinced me to apply to have my research published and presented at Canex, which is, as you said, in, in Israel with Professor Raphael Mashulam, and it was accepted. So I was able to go over there and share with some of the top and most fabulous researchers and scientists in the world. So I'm very honored. That's amazing. All right. So what is it? What did your research find out? This is obviously this is a Canada Mom show. We talk a lot about the ways different mommies incorporate, and this is always a big topic of conversation. So what did you of find? Course. Of course. So this was a research study specific to asking lactational, lactation professionals what their thoughts are, their education, and then what they're recommending to parents out there. What we found is we compared the study five years apart. So in 2014 compared to 2019, which was actually a year post legalization here in Vermont. So we know, you know, opinions and thoughts change once legalization happens in states. What we found was basically that less lactation professionals were recommending to not 
human milk feed or breastfeed while using cannabis. We went from 15% in 2014 to 4% in 2019 that had a really hard line stance of actually stop, which is, you know, a big difference statistically. And then the other thing that we found was lactation professionals were making recommendations dependent on other factors, more so in this follow-up study than the previous study, basically showing that they're realizing they need more education and we don't have as much information as we really want to make that evidence-based actual, you know, definitive decision. So, all right, that's really interesting. So, so these professionals who who had gone from saying you must stop to not, it's okay, what were they it was, I mean, legalization. What else do you think was factors were coming in? Were they just meeting babies and moms who were doing this? Like what, what were they having like one-on-one personal inter- how, what was changing their minds, I guess? You know, I think it's just the course, the, the course of time over five-year period there, we're hopefully doing a decent job at reducing some of the stigma that's out there and making or helping people to understand that they need more education and understanding instead of just having a staunch approach. And in Vermont, in in between this study, so the studies 2014, 2019, in 2017, Vermont changed its stance on Department of Children and Families as to whether they would accept a report solely based on cannabis use in pregnancy or interesting postpartum. So that that, kind of like spin back to that. That's really important. So again, the way things happen. Why rules are enforced usually is through fear and women are afraid. Like this is very, this is a big deal. If you get connected into social services, family services, whatever it is in your state, it's a very frightening proposition. So now the state is telling them that they, they're not going to take reports. What were they, what was the difference? Right. So basically the state said in November 1st, 2017, they changed their stance that they wouldn't be accepting reports that are solely on the basis of cannabis use in pregnancy or parenting. If there's other confounding factors, that's a different story. But if it's just cannabis use, they won't even put that, that, report into the system and open up a case at this point, which is exactly what you said, you know, really supportive of hoping to eliminate some of that fear factor. Wow, that's a big change. I mean, that's, again, people, you know, how are we going to change the world? That's a policy decision. That's literally a policy decision that saves a lot of mothers, a lot of anguish. And it's a pretty easy thing to do. I, I just, that's interesting. All right. That's fortunately it wasn't easy. Not get, easy. I'm not, not easy. Not, we're, we're not changing social structures. We're not trying yeah. to like fix it. We're saying like, can we change the law? Can we change this? Because the people, again, you have bad policy and you have bad law and then you have law enforcement. Law enforcement are just literally carrying out the laws that they are told they're supposed to enforce. Absolutely. So again, if we have social workers, people who here want to help people, people who want to engage in the world of caregiving, if they are mandated by the state, they can't really go against that. But if they are freed from that requirement, that's huge, huge. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned at the beginning, I do a lot of work with opioid use disorder and pregnancy and parenting. And Vermont has had, unfortunately, a very high number of both overdoses and addiction rates here increasing over the years. So really, this was a piece of that puzzle is we need to put our efforts and our time for the social services in that area where cannabis wasn't really as much of a concern in the, in those, you know, the people making those decisions and luckily helping to change that policy. It isn't. Yeah. I mean, that's just, again, sometimes you only have so much energy and you know, the reason the war on drugs was happening in the first place is because of a lot of bad reasons, but we have some real serious problems now. So we can just leave cannabis alone. We're done with that. 
that's a joke. It was bad. It was a bad idea. <laughs> Just focus on the stuff that we can fix. All right, let's kind of move forward. So you're a nurse. You're connected to many, many nurse groups. I know it's very important for nurses who are caregivers to understand what this is and that nurses tend to talk to each other. So can you just talk a little bit about the groups you're connected with and maybe what you've witnessed in the nurse community? What's been changing? I'm sure. I think cannabis nursing in general is a newer concept. But what we're finding is there's a lot of nurses who are trying to find more holistic and alternative methods for not only themselves, their family, their patients, because of what they've seen and the jobs and careers that they've had. So often it's nurses finding cannabis because they're frustrated and fried with the traditional system. So this has provided a fantastic way for nurses to feel not only can they educate themselves, but they can help people at a different level. Mm -hmm. One thing we know about nurses is where we've been voted the most trusted profession for 20 years now. So luckily, we can be that support system and that communication system for patients who in a stigmatized area of, you know, holistic caring and plant medicine aren't always comfortable speaking to their doctors or other caregivers. So hopefully nurses are starting to bridge that gap and will help break some of that stigma and bring cannabis out of the dark and into the light and out of, you know, the illicit market and into the, you know, the forefront and be a first line treatment rather than a last line of treatment. That's what I say all the time. Yeah, I mean, but we're still sort of stuck in this problem. So my sister-in-law is a school nurse and she's a mandatory reporter and she can't ignore this. And, you know, we have a lot of discussions about what cannabis really is, especially with the teenage populations, but she just really, it, it's hard for her to understand what I'm talking about. And I obviously know nothing about the human body and she does. So she's got to up on me, but I do, I do know I'm not lying. And I do know that what I'm talking about is coming from health professionals. So that's interesting to see you've changed. So there have been pushback, like the medical community that you're connected with in terms of what you're doing. Oh, of course. Absolutely. You know, I think you have to tote a very fine line and, and really come from both a professional and an evidence-based information, you know, and education, not, I don't know what the right word is, but basically you really have to hold yourself at a certain level to be able to speak to other medical professionals and not immediately have them shut you out. Right. And, and I do think nurses are doing a very good job of bridging that, but we're going to continue to see stigma. We're going to continue to see, you know, the, the differences that are so in, out, you know, so, so obvious amongst different medical professionals. But I, you know, I do see nurses as regardless of whether they are pro or anti-cannabis, nurses tend to listen to their patients a little bit more and understand how important that anecdotal evidence is and meeting a patient where they're at, where not all other professionals are always used to prioritizing that. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, you know, the people, and almost exclusively the women on the show have healed themselves or healed someone they love using cannabis, usually without a medical professional because no one was really listening to them, which seems really sad and tragic, actually. And now they're trying to do something different to help people. But the nurses, so and we haven't gotten to your story. Okay, so you're a nurse. You're connected to the, how did this happen? How did you go from studying opiate use disorders to helping people with cannabis? Well, actually, nursing was my second career. So I- okay been an alternative healing. I owned a yoga studio. I'm a doula and a doula trainer, you know, childbirth ed classes. I'm a massage therapist. So I've always been an herbalist and kind of put plant medicine and holistic caring in the forefront. And and always in, in Vermont? Is that what you 
Yep. Yep. Okay. And then nursing was my second career. You know, I went back to school as a single mom with young kids, became a nurse, went right into labor and delivery. Labor and delivery is where I really fell in love with my NAS babies, my neonatal abstinence syndrome, my babies that were going through withdrawal. And then I realized I wanted to be part of the process to help them more than just in labor and delivery, or maybe part of the process before we get to that point. So I started to work at a residential treatment facility, which was specific to pregnant parents or parenting families who've lost custody due to substance use or multi-substance and mental health and opioid use disorders. So digging into that work kind of brought me back to realizing we need other forms of medicine. This can't just be psychiatric pharmaceuticals and methadone. We also need to look at other options and other natural support systems. So it kind of... And what, what, year, what year is this when you're doing this work? I'd say 2000, maybe 2010 to 2018 or so. So, was, so I'm trying to get the opiate. So when did opiates really sort of like blossom? <laughs> when did that all sort of like bloom into what it is now? Was that in the that 90s? Was, that was... I'd say that was about the height of it, you know, about I'd say somewhere in the middle there. I went from having three patients on methadone to about 28 patients on methadone in the course of a year or two for my pregnant families. I mean, they were I, I so when I gave birth in 1998 and they gave me Percocets mm-hmm. and I remember my doctor being like, you sure you want those? And I'm like, my friend said I did. Ooh, that's crazy, right? All right. So you're working in this world and seeing this. Okay. And, you know, and then it was one or two of my patients that came in and had a medical card, but because they were on opioid replacement therapy, they weren't allowed to use it. Another patient comes in who's using CBD successfully, but because they test THC positive with it, they're not allowed to continue that treatment because of drug court. So it really just kind of showed up in front of me. And I just said, what am I doing? I can't continue to put people on Suboxone and pharmaceuticals while they're telling me, no, they can't use lavender essential oil. And Jesse Lynn, you can't do acupuncture anymore either on them. So it really made me- I, I, Every time people say that out loud, I, I just the way that what we pay for, it's kind of, again, like, what are we putting our energy on? Yeah. Where are we putting our energy? And someone like you who wants to actually be a caregiver and actually wants to heal people, which is so admirable and like unusual, <laughs> and you're being told no. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Again, mm-hmm. we don't value caregivers. We just don't value caregiving. It, again, I don't, we're not, not putting our energy into the spaces that would heal us, which yeah. is unfortunate. Okay. So from there, you know, I basically decided I couldn't do that full time anymore. I needed to step away from that. It was, I love my babies and my work, but it was taking a little piece of my soul is kind of the way I joke around about it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And from there, I went into research. I went to the University of Vermont, started to do opioid specific research. And they were open to me discussing cannabis use and almost not necessarily encouraging it, but supporting safer and more educated cannabis use because in that population, people are going to use it. So let's so, so, did you, so at this point, did you understand that it could be used to reduce someone's dependency on opiates? Was that something you understood? Absolutely. And there, you was understood a, it? there was starting to be a lot of research to start supporting that as well. And when you were coming into facilities and saying this, what did they say to you? I was told I was the same as a pharmaceutical company pushing drugs. My friend who's in the cannabis industry was told she's in pornography this morning. And now you are. Pharmaceutical salesperson. Yes. (laughs) We have to just, just, whatever. Okay. So you understood this is working. You're actually pushing because you're, you are who you, you, and you're trying to get people to use this to substitute. Okay. That's okay. So, so you're at the university now? 
I am. I am. And then, okay. then all the lawsuits kind of started around the opioid, you know, the, the families involved and things like that. And I realized, unfortunately, that's likely paying a piece of my salary is, you know, mixed in with this. So I decided ethically I wanted to step down from that research. Luckily, I had finished doing the cannabis and human milk feeding research study. We were just at the point where we were looking to get that published. So I felt, you know, I'd went as far as I wanted to with the research and had learned a lot as a research nurse. I joke around what I really learned was not to necessarily trust our research and to go back to my roots and trust the anecdotal patient stories and, and talk to my patients. That's interesting. All right. So, all right. So with your nurses groups now, are you, so you're seeing patients too, and you're working with organizations and how are your, how are your patients finding you and what are they looking for? What sort of relief are they looking for? Yeah. So, you know, I, I am an entrepreneur. I have my own little consulting business. So I one-on-one meet with patients. I'll also be starting because Vermont is coming into an adult use market in the next couple months. I'll be starting bud tender training courses and a free nurse hotline to support the community. But I also work specifically for a doctor a couple days a week in his clinic, in his office. I work with chronic pain patients and do both medical massage and case management. Okay. And so you're not, okay, can, let's go over the status of, I'm so confused. All right, what's the status? I just thought Vermont was, everything goes there. So what's the status of Vermont? What's going on up there? And Because it's coming up. Yeah, just tell we me have, what the status is. Yeah, we have a medical program and we have legalized adult use. Okay. We have not had any sales or cultivation or anything as of yet, but we are just starting the process of approving licensing here, hoping that by June we have cultivators and by the fall we have sales. Well, okay, so you're doing it a little bit slowly and you're doing it differently than Massachusetts. So are the dispensaries, are there medicinal dispensaries? There are five medical dispensaries here in Vermont by three MSOs. Okay. And are they doing social equity programs? Like who's getting the licenses? Is it kind of similar to Massachusetts where it's town by town? They, social equity applicants do get first priority to licensing and reduced fees. And, and do you, is there a lot of growers in Vermont? There are, you know, unfortunately, the legislator have kind of tied the hands of the Cannabis Control Board from the timeline perspective. So things aren't happening likely as quickly as we need them to be. So we're hoping for the best. But I do think we are likely opening up to a market that's not going to be as mature or stable as we hope. And we'll see how it goes. This is so it's such an interest. Uh, somebody's going to look back and study this. I mean, like a program developing across the country, each state, state by state, <laughs> with no guidelines. Everybody's doing their own thing, and they're trying to they're trying to fix the hugest problem America has: structural inequity because of slavery, based on a cannabis plant. It is a very strange world to live in, and to watch it being built. And you're kind of a, and you're involved in that. Are you involved at the legislative um, level too? And who are you advocating? What are you doing up there? I am. I do a lot of test, you know, testifying and advocacy. I'm also, as the president of the American Nurse Association here in Vermont, run our legislative advocacy. So I do work to have advocacy for nurses at a state level, regardless of cannabis. But I specifically do a lot of, you know, communicating and educating as much as I can with the Cannabis Control Board, testifying with the legislators as often as I'm able. That's good. Oh, you're like one of the voices not whispering, but like telling them what to do. And, you know, policymakers are policymakers. They don't know everything. They're getting their information from other people. So we need people like you who are advocating and talking about it. So what, do you, what are they asking about it? What do they want to know? Are they afraid? Do they think it's good? Do they think it's bad? Do they just not want to be on the record? Like what's going on at Vermont policy politicians? There's been some battling. You know, we have yeah. the Vermont Association who have 
put forward requests, almost demands to have a 15% THC cap on flour, which was luckily shot down. We have- What are their rationales? Like we don't have a limit on alcohol. What do they say? Oh, everything from psychosis to addiction to, you you know- It's for the children. It's always about the children. It's the children. It is, yeah. (laughs) But as you know, I mean, in my mind, that's a losing battle if you want to take that battle on discussion-wise. Because the guy up the road who's selling them a bag of weed might also have a Percocet. But, the you know, when you check your ID in at 21 years old at the dispensary, they're not going to be offering you any other pharmaceuticals. So, yeah. So that's the reason. Okay. So they wanted to cap it, but they didn't. What other things do they, are they trying to do? Well, the medical dispensaries here have a head start and were allowed to open adult use before any of the small cultivators. And oh, they were? Up until yet. But that was something that was set in place, unfortunately, which kind of felt, you know, not not like a fair fair chance for small Vermonters. Right now, we just had legislation pass, unfortunately, and we are having a cap on concentrates, but only solid concentrates. So no solid concentrates above 60%, but liquid concentrates have missed that because they don't understand the difference between liquid and solid concentrates, unfortunately. And if you're coming from a medicinal perspective, that's actually the opposite of what you want. So here, take a 90% THC distillate in liquid form, that's okay. But a 70% solid concentrate hash, which is full spectrum and will give you all the medicinal benefits is banned. So again, that's kind of giving the medical dispensaries who have the infrastructure and the financing to make those distillate carts rather than all the small Vermonters whose really backbone and kind of legacy here is hash. Okay, we need more work. I, yeah, I, again, yeah. again, we talked about this before. People who are law enforcement enforce the laws based on the idea that maybe these laws are made with some sort of perspective and make sense and they're actually protecting people, but this doesn't really seem like that's working. So we need more people like you out there across the country talking to people and explaining what this is and pushing back when they just are just wrong. So thank yep. you for existing. All right, my friend, Jesse Lynn, we're going to have to take a break. Two thanks today's sponsor, Girl Get That Money and Khadijah Adams. But we'll be back on the other side to talk more about Vermont and what she's doing now and health and wellness and how we're going to heal ourselves with cannabis. We'll be right back. Girl Get That Money's founder, Khadijah Adams, is an author, business empowerment coach, entrepreneur, accredited investor, and motivational speaker who is driven by her mission to empower, guide, and educate amazing women. Whether you need help creating your business plan or help funding your business idea, Girl Get That Money is ready to empower you by providing the resources for your optimal success. With Girl Get That Money, you'll learn how to build a profitable company from scratch or scale an existing one by leveraging technology and automation tools. Khadijah Adams understands what it takes to succeed. Her business empowerment coaching program has helped entrepreneurs grow into the thriving businesses that provide value for others and themselves. Khadijah's coaching program is designed to equip entrepreneurs with the tools necessary to take advantage of the opportunities in this evolving cannabis industry. Reach out to Girl Get That Money today and gain the edge that sets you apart and aids you in becoming a thriving canna entrepreneur. Okay, we are back with Jesse Lynn Dolan. Let's talk about health and wellness and products. I actually just got, you know, Dr. Dustin Sulak. He has a line of CBD products that I actually am trying now, his drops, and they are so professional. Yeah, again, CBD is this weirdly underregulated, overregulated industry. You never know what's really in the bottle. You never know what the dosing is. You're not even, you know, if I have to look at a bottle more than three times to figure out how much is in there and calculate it in my head, that does not seem like it's going to help me. (laughs) 
but his came with instructions and packaging and everything's dosed and like a little journal. <laughs> so what do you see up in Vermont? Are you seeing products like that? Well, you know, I think it's all over the place. Unfortunately, it's only been the last two years Vermont has had regulations in place for the hemp program. It's actually why I started a hemp and CBD company because years ago when I started to look into Vermont hemp companies, I couldn't find anything that was doing proper lab testing, you know, or, or something I was comfortable recommending, let alone to medical professionals, my family and friends. So that's really was the impetus for me to start my own hemp and CBD company. And, you know, I feel so strongly about the cultivation aspect and we need to make sure we're doing regenerative farming, you know, beyond organic and that being a strong piece, regardless of those full panel lab testing, which is not, you know, the norm for CBD products in the industry. So, all right. So what are you, what are you, so you're actually making your own things in Vermont with Vermont hemp? Is that? Yep. Yep. We grow our own and we are clean green certified, the first company here in Vermont. So that shows, you know, we're really pushing in the environmental stewardship and we're full panel lab tested and have from the beginning, which a lot of companies don't spend the extra money to do all the contaminant testing compared to just testing that CBD or those cannabinoids. So what, so what are some of your products? What are the things that you're, rec- I know everyone's got tinctures and doses and I, yeah, I yeah. love, to, I love talking about vaginal suppositories, Those are just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, you know, we have the typical CBD oil. We use a hemp seed oil base because I really like to stay with the essence of the cannabis plant. We have a CBN and CBD combination. We have a CBDA, CBD combination. We also have a CBG Then we have topicals because as a massage therapist, I'm very picky about my topicals. We have an Arnica and frankincense salve or balm. We have some fabulous massage oils, which have great scents. We have DIY. So we try to help people take some hemp and beeswax with all the materials they need to make their own salve to kind of start to be their own healer and get their hands on the plant. I like that idea. So I have, I had a decarboxylator which I never use because I never bake or cook anything. But my friend who I play tennis with decided she wanted to start making salves. So she's been making these salves, which she's handing out to all of us, all the tennis ladies. Every week she shows up with like a new little container. She's so funny. So, and it does feel like you're getting your friend made it for you. I like that. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Again, you know, it's all about touching the plant, being part of the cultivation as much as you can. You know, I'm a caregiver. There's patients that are not able to do that, but whenever they can, there's a big aspect of healing that comes with growing and and crafting just as much as consuming. I agree. Yeah. So actually kind of question. So, so you're a massage therapist. Do you find that your hands, that's an issue I keep hearing from people who do this work, you know, the CBD products are actually helping them as well as helping their own, their um, clients. Yeah, that was one of the other reasons, you know, I kind of jumped on the CBD train was watching how much it benefited my son for his athletic injuries and trying it on myself. And as a therapist, I've tried every tiger bomb and every kind of icy hot rub out there and was really impressed with it. So I use it on all my clients, which I'm sure helps my hands as I'm working on them. I also limit my, you know, 25 years ago, I was doing 25, 30 massages a week, dozen is max for me. So I really, at this point, kind of honor that and want to give minimal hours so I can give my clients my maximum energy. So, all right. So you and your family, you have sons or how, do you have children? How many children? I do. A 21 year old and 15 year old. Okay. So how, I love, I like talking to the cannon moms. So how do they understand what this plant is? Uh, what do they think of you being in this industry? Was it a transition for them? What, what, what happened with all that? This is a family business. I've okay. been farming and helping. My 21 year old has been our 
you know, hemp farm hand for five, six years now. He's actually shipping out to California in a couple of weeks to go live on a cannabis farm and learn Korean natural farming in California and Humboldt. Not um, really. So, wow. Yeah. So he wants to be in the industry and loves it. He's actually going to take the Ganjie course as well that I just took. He is a medical patient and has had a lot of, you know, med- medical injuries due to sports and athletics and things like that. So he's really benefited from the plant. My kids have watched me help my mother get off. You know, she was on fentanyl, Percocet, Xanax. We were able to get her off of that and onto cannabis. So my kids were able well, That's to actually an interesting that. story. So my own mother oh, yeah. didn't believe me. She just couldn't see this. So how did that work with you? What did your mother think of it before you were? How did that even happen? <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up with a cannabis supporting family. I grew okay. up kind of in a hippie, Grateful Dead touring home. My great grandmother was an herbalist and brought Canada back from Canada. Uh, cannabis back from Canada to to help treat us as a family. So really my family has not had stigma and has used it the entire time. So that's how my kids have grown up as well. Are you like a Humboldt family? Because I, you know, I always say, you know, I'm I'm in Boston, we're kind of a New England people. And I talk to these ladies out in California in Humboldt or other regions. And this is just how they grew up. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. And, you know, my younger son does my graphic design for my hemp business. So he's a part of it as well. And, you know, he's, he's the one that picks out my computer and fixes my phone and does all my Instagram posting. So, so yeah, it's a little family business. I think they are very supportive. They also watched me leave a nursing career that I was literally losing my hair, wasn't able to keep on weight, was getting phone calls 24-7 supporting opioid use disorder situations. And I think they're grateful that mom, you know, <laughs> is around a little bit more and smiling a little bit more and feels good about the work I'm doing. I mean, that must have been a big transition uh, to think of you being in a world where it was just very dark. I mean, there was really no hope in a lot of these cases, I'm sure. And people were in desperate shapes. I mean, I mean, they probably lost contact with family and friends and you're the only human care person that they knew. I mean, that's a really hard, dark place to be living all the time. And the the person that I care give for currently is the grandmother of one of the mothers I took care of. And we were all there together when they delivered the baby. And years later, I'm still supporting them. And now I grow cannabis for grandma. <laughs> so from babies to grandma, like you do it all. You do the full <laughs> spectrum. The full, she's a full spectrum cannabis nurse. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. All right. So let's see. I know NECAN's happening in Vermont. What other kind of things are happening in Vermont this summer? Are there events? Are there festivals? Are you doing education? What's going on with that? Well, hopefully adult use sales will come on online in the fall. So we have NECAN in June. You know, there's always different events happening. Nothing ever as big as NECAN per se. I hope to start teaching, you know, courses through Clean Green as bud tender training courses and helping some of the professionals level up their education a little bit here. And I'm hopeful that Vermont can have some of the best bud tenders in the country and really come from an educated standpoint. That's it. So are you, so I know we've talked about this in different different guests, but trying to get nurses or even medical professionals into the dispensaries, is that part of how Vermont is setting this up or is that part of a recommendation. I mean, I know you can get, it's getting their card similar to how it is in Massachusetts. Well, I guess once you have adult use, you don't need it anymore, but the medical card, do you need um, a medical professional to get the card? You do, you do. You have to have a doctor sign off for that. Right now, there hasn't been a ton of incentive for people to sign up for the medical dispensaries because of the cost and the quality and concerns like that. Mm-hmm. What I'm lobbying and pushing for is for medical patients to be able to shop at adult use 
shop without paying that extra medical tax. That's my long-term hope. And that's based on other models. I mean, that makes sense. Again, if we're going to do this state by state, we might as well take the things that are working in other states. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I have advocated in the past for our medical dispensaries to have a nurse or a medical professional on staff. That would be my other suggestion. If patients are not able to go to adult use, they can only go to medical, then we definitely need a medical professional who has more education at that level for sure. But I also feel very strongly, I know a lot of nurses feel they should be the only ones and really should be the that counter person. I feel that we can work together as medical professionals and help educate the bud tenders. So the bud tenders can do a lot of that forward facing support and education and know when to call it and when to refer to the nurse, when to refer to the doc, when to bring somebody else in for more of that medical support. Because not everyone can afford a nurse and not you know, every facility is going to want a nurse or have a nurse. And there's some people out there that aren't going to trust a nurse. A 25-year-old is going to feel more comfortable possibly talking to a bud tender of their same age than an, a nurse who's, you know, been around for 30 years. So, so I think the combination, in my opinion, is where we're going to get the best for people and patients. Not everyone is a patient. People, you know, I... <laughs> I always say seven out of 10 people are on pharmaceuticals. So seven out of 10 people who are using cannabis might not call themselves a patient, but they're using medicinally. So let's support that. Exactly. Exactly. Again, normalizing it, making it accessible. Lots of different types of humans out here in the world and women are still human now. So until the Supreme Court takes it away, we all have <laughs> pot and politics. That's what we Everything's political, though. If you're going to be not political, that means you don't have any ideas. I, I don't even know what people, when people say that it makes me crazy. That's how we keep our government going. It's if you don't engage, that's authoritarianism. So if you have an idea and if you have a belief and you want to go forward and advocate for something, use your voice. You have that choice. That is politics. Don't say you're not political. It's not a little preachy thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Voice matters more than you think and you don't have to. Yeah, it's not hard to be loud. I couldn't agree more. And I always, you know, I've been told many times if you're not, you know, getting somebody frustrated and upset, you're probably not speaking up loud enough and advocating enough doing your job. So keep it up. <laughs> All right. So um, we're just out here trying to heal ourselves again, getting knowledge and information from nurses to bud tenders to the humans who are actually using this plant medicine. That's really, you know, that's part of us healing ourselves and then healing our world and making this place better because. I don't know, Lordy Lord. I don't like the way it's going. So I think we can do better. I think we can do better, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So if someone wants to connect with you, reach out to you, buy something from you, meet, how would the best way to connect with you? Well, my, you know, CBD website is nursegrown.com. I'm also on Instagram. It's what is it? Nursegrown underscore Vermont Canna Nurse. So that's pretty long. But you it'll, can be, do- it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show yep. notes. <laughs> uh, you know, you can email me anytime, Jesse Lynn at higherstandardsvt.com. And I could spell that out for you if you want to type it up somewhere. Yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook, anywhere you can find me. Absolutely reach out. I'd love to support folks and keep doing this work. And thank you for doing the work. And are you, so are you speaking at NECAN? Are you going to be at NECAN in Burlington? I am. I'm speaking multiple times at NECAN. I, I think at least three or four more times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to go up. I don't know. I have to see if, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should go. We'll yeah, see. There's a bunch of folks coming up from Mass. They're going to come here and hang out. So yeah, if you come up, let me know. All right. Yeah. I going out. I go, I go out now. I can do this. <laughs> I can go meet my ladies in person. All right. So thank you, Jesse Lynn. Thank you for like joining us today and sharing your story. I hope we see each other in Vermont at the end of June. That'd be really great. Yeah, please. Thank you. Keep in touch.
Yes, absolutely. So thank you again. So for my guest and my Canterbro, David Jazz, and our Canna Mom Show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry. So together, we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannamom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.